last part of chapter 1. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it, Words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Thank you, Kirk. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open to Ezekiel chapter 2. This morning, Ezekiel chapter 2. Been studying this passage as I have been teaching through it in Sunday school this fall and uh, just excited about the book. And what God has for us out of it this morning. Let me just set up the scene of what is going on here in Ezekiel, the end of chapter 1, starting the chapter 2. In 700 B.C., don't fall asleep, you've already started history class, I know how this goes, but stay awake with me. 700 B.C., the Assyrians uh, were coming to the very gates of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already been defeated and just wiped off the map. And here, the nation of Judah... Remember how they split after Solomon? Uh, Judah, where Jerusalem was, uh, was hanging on by a thread. And the Assyrians come to the very gates of Jerusalem in 700 B.C. They put, uh, they, they put a siege on it, and the uh, Israelites begin to cry out to God. And God, in his mercy, sends the angel of the Lord one night to slaughter 185,000 Assyrians and set them free. Well, through all this, the people of Israel had begun and always believed, kind of like Hophni and Phinehas, if you remember Eli's sons, thought of uh, when they went to war that if they took the Ark of the Covenant with them, God surely would never allow the Ark of the Covenant to be captured. In the same way, the children of Israel thought, well, we're Jerusalem. We're where the temple is. This is where God resides. Surely, this God, it doesn't matter how we act, what we do, God would never allow Jerusalem to be taken captive. 
And so they thought this was their little pawn, that, that God wouldn't allow Jerusalem to be taken captive. And so in his mercy, God does come, sends the angel of the Lord, slaughters 185,000 Assyrians. At the same time, Babylon comes and begins to cause trouble with Assyria. And so the Assyrians leave Judah. They, they, they go back and they begin to battle Babylon. Well, instead of turning to God because of the great victory that he had won, the king Hezekiah was encouraged by the Babylonians to rebel against the Assyrians. And so the Babylonians send uh, groups to come to Jerusalem to talk to Hezekiah about teaming up, signing a treaty, and going to war against the Assyrians themselves. In this time, Hezekiah forgets God, forgets the freedom that God had given them, and he begins to boast about all that they had. And so here come the Babylonians. These envoys come. He shows them. He opens up. He shows them all their riches. He shows them the temple. He shows them Jerusalem and says, Surely we can sign a treaty, and this will keep us safe. Prophet Isaiah at this time comes to Hezekiah, and if you want to read more about it, you can find it in 2 Kings chapter 20. He comes to Hezekiah at this time, and he says, Because you have decided that you are going to trust the Babylonians instead of God, because you're going to sign treaties and make Babylonians what you trust instead of the Lord God, you will not set up God to be your king. God has said the Babylonians will one day come and take the very things that you have shown them today. They will take your money, they will take the temple, they will take the town. And sure enough, this has happened. And so at the beginning of Ezekiel, a mere about 100 years later, here come the Babylonians. They absolutely destroy Jerusalem. It is the apocalypse for Jerusalem. The temple is torn to the ground, burnt down. Everything's gone. And the children of Judah, Israel, are in exile for about five years when we come to them in Ezekiel. Five years they've been in Babylon. Five years they've been hoping and waiting for the day that they could go back home. Five long years. Here's Ezekiel. Ezekiel, a prophet and a priest. And after five years, God comes to him and shows him a vision in chapter 1, an amazing picture of what is going on in the heavenlies. He sees these angels with four heads. They don't have to turn to move. They can move back and forth. Just an amazing, amazing thing. And we come to the end of chapter 1, and the Bible says that he looks beyond these heavenly creatures, and he sees above the expanses a throne, and the glory of God radiating from this throne, and he falls on his face in humility. That's where we find him at the end of chapter 1. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and I fell on my face. This is the God that Hezekiah would not turn to to make king. This is the God that the children of Israel over and over going all the way back to when they declared we want a man to be king rejected this God from being king. This is exactly what we've been talking through in the book of Matthew when we are called to make him our king. And so I want to look at the call of God on Ezekiel's life and how he obeyed the call. Number one, I want to look at obedience to the call. Number one, I want to see the priority of the Spirit. Here's Ezekiel. He has fallen on his face before God. He hears God, the one voice of one speaking. God is speaking to him. And he says to him, Son of man, stand on 
your feet and I will speak to you. Notice he refers to him as the son of man. Now this is definitely setting him apart from the creatures, the heavenly creatures, the cherubim that he saw in chapter 1. It's setting him apart from God that he is bowing before. He is definitely different. But it's also setting him apart, as we will see, from the nation of Israel, the people of Israel that are rejecting God. He literally is saying, son of Adam, you are different than God, but you are also different than the people, and I'm coming to speak to you. I have a responsibility, a job for you. I have a call for your life. Look what he says. Stand on your feet. Well, that's pretty easy, right? Except Ezekiel couldn't do it. He says, I stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. The priority of the spirit here starts with the very fact and the understanding, folks, listen to me, we cannot obey the the commands of God if we do not have the spirit of God in our life. We cannot obey the commands of God if we do not have the spirit of God. All you have to do is look around the world at all the religions that base their belief on good works. Listen to me. If there is anything but the blood of Christ that you are trusting to get you to heaven, you cannot get there. You cannot obey. Ezekiel couldn't even stand to his feet, which God commanded him to do, without the Spirit of God. Why? Because when he stood before a holy God, all he could do is drop down in humility and lay humbly before him. And so he says, get to your feet. And the Spirit enters him and sets him on his feet. Now... What was it that was going to be so difficult for Ezekiel? What was the call of God that was going to be so hard? Well, you heard Kirk read it for us. He says, I send you to a people, in verse 3, to a nation of rebels who rebel against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me. You're like, man, this is going to be fun, right? I'm sending you to church that's never going to listen to you. You're never going to have any fruit. Good luck with that one, Ezekiel. Have fun, right? But what was it that God knew Ezekiel would struggle with? Look at verse 6. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. God knew that the commands that he was giving Ezekiel, just go speak my words, Tell them what this is what God says. He knew there would be a struggle there. Why? It is implied here. What was he going to struggle with? He says, don't be afraid of the people. My friends, listen to us. Each one is commanded. If you are a follower of Christ, you are commanded to go, Matthew 28, and make disciples. Preach the word of God. Go and make disciples. What's the number one excuse that you give I give, and you hear other people give. I don't know what people will say about me, right? What are people going to think about me? What are people going to, man, what was my boss going to say? What are my coworkers going to say? What are my friends going to say? Man, I, I just don't know what people are going to say about me. Steve, I can't go do that. That's the preacher's job. God knew when he gave Ezekiel the command, Ezekiel, 
This is what you're going to be scared of. You're going to be scared of these people. Well, you'd think he would be. Because 100 years earlier, the very Isaiah, the prophet that we just talked about, that went to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, Babylon's going to take over your land, was cut in two in the middle of a log. Tradition says it was cut in two with a saw. Okay? Now you're going in the same occupation, Ezekiel. Have fun with that one. Right? There, there was something here to be afraid of. He says, Ezekiel, you're going to go to a rebellious people. They're not going to listen to you. And you are going to be tempted to be afraid of them. He says, don't be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of their words. You've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. God says that's hogwash. Words do hurt. Right? Ezekiel, you're going to be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of what people say about you and Ezekiel's going to have some pretty crazy things going on in his life when he obeys the call of God. He says, don't be afraid of their words. But God knows that we struggle with that. God knows that people's words hurt us. No one wants to be mocked. That's why God in verse 6 tells him twice, do not be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid of their words. Ezekiel, you are going to be tempted when they begin to rebel against you. They don't want to listen to you. They begin to mock you. You're going to be tempted to stop and not do it anymore. Ezekiel, the spirit of God is coming upon him so that he could preach the word of God, that he would not be deterred by what people think and what people say. And then he says, Verse 6, don't be afraid of their looks. He doesn't mean that these people are ugly and scary and don't look at them. No, he's saying, you know how it is when you walk in and people look at you weird. You're like, what what did I do? My my shirt untucked? Did my fly open? I mean, I not washed my face after I ate all that chocolate on the way to work this morning. I mean, what's going on? He says, if people look at you funny, it has a way of manipulating what you do. He says, listen to Ezekiel, don't be afraid of them, don't be afraid of their words, and do not be afraid of their looks. And my friends, listen to me. This is a danger in our call to go and testify and share the gospel. We are manipulated by people. Think about it. Some of you were manipulated by people when you got up this morning. You went to their, your closet, and some of us would look at it and say, well, no, last time I wore this, somebody said, what is that? I saw, how, I saw how they looked at me when I wore that dress or that shirt or those pants. Oh, wait, wait, somebody, they said they really like this shirt. I'll wear that shirt because they really like it, And right? Listen, we get up and get dressed, and we start thinking about what other people think. You thought about, some of us thought about what people think when we rode to church. Everybody had any of those car rides where you're fighting, even coming into the church parking lot, right? Good morning, God's good, right? Praise the Lord. We'll start this at noon when we get out of here, but bless God, you sure, right? And we walk in. Why? We walk in here like we are a bunch of angels that never had a sin in our life and never had a tough week. Why? Because we're afraid of what people will think of us if they actually realize we're sinners. Well, folks, it doesn't take you long reading the Bible to know that we're all sinners, right? But we walk in here. Hey, how was your week? Great. Didn't Stephen just preach on this a couple weeks ago? Great. It's, it's wonderful. And you're lying through your teeth, but you don't want people to think that you've had bad weeks. Hey, listen to me. How about when we are commanded to go and preach the word of God, to tell people about the good news of the gospel of Christ, and we 
Every time, often in our lives, we sit there and go, man, what are they going to think of us? What are they going to say? What are they going to think? What are they going to say? I don't want a door slammed in my face. I don't want, think of Ezekiel's job here. Hey, go preach. Nobody's going to listen. Hey, go start that church. You're not going to have any fruit. Good luck with that. Ed Welch wrote an incredible book on the subject, When People Are Big and God is Small. Why? Because we all struggle with that, which tells us, listen to me, if we are to obey the command of God, we need the Spirit of God working in our life. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Greater things will you do when what happens? The comfort of the Spirit of God comes upon you. And then at Pentecost, the fearful man that wouldn't even acknowledge he even knew Christ at the crucifixion around that fire to that little girl did what? Preached the Word of God and thousands of people got saved. Why? Because Peter all of a sudden took a a preaching class and he could preach better? No, because the Spirit of God began to move in a way that changed people's lives. God tells us to go and proclaim his word. We are given a command like Ezekiel. We are commanded to go and preach to people that are dead in their sins. Followers of Satan's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Follower of Satan, lovers of their own flesh. Romans 3, they don't seek God. They don't go after God. Their hearts aren't drawn to God. And we are going to proclaim, of course people are going to say things. Of course people are going to look at us weird. Of course people, they don't want to know God. They don't want anybody over their life. Yet, my friend, if you are a, if you have repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ, the Spirit lives in you. But how much do we trust the Spirit? How often do we go, and in those moments when we begin to struggle on whether I should witness or not, whether I should testify of God or not, whether I should tell people about the commands of God or not, How many of those moments do we pray and ask the Spirit of God to work in that situation? To work in that moment? Or do we think that testifying and witnessing is all about me and whether I have the right answers and whether I'm a good speaker and whether I can speak up about it? My friend, listen to me. Ezekiel is pointing us to the fact that we need the Spirit of God working in us and through us to obey the commands of God. Number two, the priority of God's mercy. You say, whoa, 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 we're in the, we're in the major prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, I heard just the other day, uh, I don't know how many of you know Tim Tebow was working out for a baseball team, but I heard it on the sports radio just the other day. A guy said, man, Tim Tebow is a good guy. He believes the New Testament where God's just love, not the Old Testament where God's just condemning everybody. It's interesting because Ezekiel 2 is talking about the mercy of God. The priority of the mercy of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say, Thus says the Lord. Drop down to verse 5. And when they hear or refuse to hear, they are a rebellious house. But they will know that a prophet had been among them. Drop down to the end of verse 6. Be not afraid of their words or their dismay at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Drop down to chapter 3, verse 1. It said, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and gave me the scroll to eat. And he said, son of man... 
feed your belly with this scroll that I give you to fill your stomach. Then I ate, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech in a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to peoples of foreign speech in a hard language whose words can, you cannot understand. Because surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. What is God saying? If you didn't get it, and you missed it somehow, God is saying, Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, and they are stubborn, they're rebellious, and they will not listen. In fact, God makes it so clear Here are these rebellious, stubborn people. They've been in exile for five years. They've been facing the judgment of God in another land for five years. And you can only imagine how they're sitting there going, God, we want, I mean, God, we want your blessing. We want to go home. We want to go back to Jerusalem. We want to rebuild the temple. We, God, we need, we need, we need, we need. And yet, even after five years, my friend, their heart is so rebellious and so undesiring of God to be their king. Yes, they want out of the consequences of their sin, but they do not want to repent and make God king. They still don't want to listen. And my friend, we often do this. We often get in situations and even in our sins say, God, well, if you'll get me out of this, I will do whatever, right? God, I'll go back to church. God, I'll give more money to you. God, I will. God, I will. God, I will. But yet at the same time, we do not repent of our sin, (coughs) excuse me, and desire God to be king over our life. God says five years they've been in in exile, five years they've rebelled against me, and for five years they talk about wanting to go home, but they have no desire for me to be king. They have no desire to what the the term will in the New Testament is repent. They're going one direction. They have no desire to turn back and follow after me. No, they just want to use me as a pawn to get out of the consequences of their sin. In fact, God uses it even in his own terminology of the people of Israel. Look at in verse 3. He says, I'm sending you to a people of Israel, to nations of rebels. If you read through the Old Testament, God refers to his people, Jeremiah 30, 22, very familiar passage. You will be my people and I will be your God. Or 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, right? God continually, when he sends Moses to the Pharaoh, hey, listen, you let my people go. God here changes it. In the Old Testament is my people for Israel and the nations for the Gentiles. And here he says, they're a nation of rebels. No longer my people. No, they're acting like the Gentiles. They're acting like the, the people out there that don't know me. In fact, look what he says down there in chapter 3, verse 5. For you are not sent to a people of foreign language. Now the Gentiles would be the people. Ezekiel, if you'd go preach to them, they'd repent and they'd listen. But my people are now the nations because they will not submit to God. They will 
not listen. You say, where's the mercy of God in all this? God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, if I sent you to the, na- to, the, to the nation, to the Gentiles, the people that don't even understand you, if I sent you as a missionary out there, they would listen. And that just begs the question, what? Then God, why don't you send him to the nations? Right? Why would you send him out there then, God? My friends, listen to me. Well, God is calling them rebellious and stubborn. The fact that God's messenger the prophet is going to Israel to preach to Israel still shows that the mercy of God is there for Israel. This passage shows, my friend, listen to me. If you are sitting under the the teaching of the word of God this morning and you are hearing the, the words that are coming out of God's word, God's mercy is still there for you. Oh, they're rebellious. They won't hear. They won't repent. They won't make God. But God is still giving them the opportunity through the preaching of his word. And as long as you're breathing and the word of God is being preached, you have the opportunity to repent and turn back to him. Here we see the mercy of God in the fact that they are rejecting him from being king. And once again, this would be a scary thought, but if I were God, and these were the people, I don't know that I'd waste my time with a prophet. Right? Judge them, start over. Right? Let's, let's just take care of them. They won't listen. They're rebellious. They don't deserve another chance. You're exactly right, my friend. Neither did you, and neither did I. None of us deserved a chance. We are all We were all dead in our sins. We were all enemies of God. But one day, the Spirit of God comes down and begins to work on our hearts and changes us and we repent of our sin and we believe in Him and the Spirit of God comes in us and begins to work in us in a way that we can follow the commands of God. And because of that, He should be King. He should be the one that we follow, the one that we listen to. God is not a pawn in your chess game. Listen to me. God is not a pawn in anybody's chess game. We don't go to church so that we don't get a flat tire on the way to work this week. We don't worship him in giving an offering to make sure that we don't have a doctor's bill this week. As we sang just a few minutes ago, blessed be the name of the Lord in the good days and the bad days, whether he gives or whether he takes away. If God is king, God is in control. My friend, if you are sitting here and you have never repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ, God's mercy is here for you this morning. You're still hearing the word of God preached. And as long as the word of God's being preached, you have the opportunity to turn, repent, and make him king. Number three, the priority of the message. Look what God tells Ezekiel. Verse four. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Look down in verse 10. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and the back, and there was written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak 
my words to them. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive into your ears and hear with your ears, and you go to the exiles, to your people, and speak that to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord. God tells Ezekiel, go and preach my words. Ezekiel, you don't have to come up with your own message. Ezekiel, I don't want you telling them what you want them to hear or what you think will make them listen or what you may tickle their ears a little bit. This is the gospel that we often hear preached around our nation. Well, we need to make it more loving. We need to make it more acceptable. We need to make it more Uh, politically correct we need to make it we need to make it no god says you go and preach exactly what i tell you and what was his message end of verse 10 words of lamentation mourning and woe and everybody says i don't like that i like good news right that's why i don't turn on the 10 o'clock news right you're guaranteed somebody's got killed in fayetteville or durham that's like a given right it's just bad news nobody wants that I don't come to church to hear bad news. I want to hear the gospel. I want to hear good news. But my friend, listen to me. The gospel is only good news to those that repent. Listen to me. The message of the cross is only good news to those that repent. Because if you are rebellious and stubborn and don't listen to the gospel, guess what is at the end of it? If you do not repent and turn to Christ and put your faith and trust in him, it's what? Eternity in hell forever. Right? That's the message of justice, holiness, the cross. The cross says, yes, someone paid for your sins. But if you do not repent, and if you're like the children of Israel, and do not want to put yourself under the king, repent and believe and follow him, then guess what? The gospel is lamentation, mourning, and woe because your eternity will be forever in hell. That's the message God gives us. Listen to me. We are not to change the message of God. Ezekiel, I'm going to speak it to you, he says in chapter 3, and whatever I speak, you say. That's it. And we don't have to come up with our own gospel. We don't have to come up with how we like it and try to change it and make it a little nicer. No, we are commanded to take the words of God and preach the words of God. It is the priority of the message. But here's the the crazy thing. Ezekiel, are you willing to submit and obey? Well, yeah, I'll go preach the message. Great. But because he submitted to the Spirit of God and he submitted to the Word of God, it didn't turn out exactly like Ezekiel wanted it. Because if you look at what he was commanded to do, chapter 2, he's commanded to go and preach to people that won't listen. Hey, Ezekiel, it's great. Start a church. Nobody will come. You'll never have any fruit. You're going to send messages back. Man, I preach and I preach and I preach. Nobody, nobody turned to God. And he goes in that knowing that. that that's, that's not fun. Chapter, th- chapter 3, he's commanded to eat a scroll. Right? Ingest the word of God into you, Ezekiel. And so he eats the scroll. Number in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, he's to be bound up. He's tied up. He's mute. He can't speak for seven days. Some of us, that would kill. Right? 
He, in chapter 4, is supposed to lay on his side for 390 days. Then he's supposed to turn on to his other side in chapter 4 for 40 days. And if you're in chapter 4 in our Sunday school class this morning, he's going to make bread. Anybody ever seen Ezekiel bread, Trader Joe's and that kind of thing? Well, make sure if you eat Ezekiel bread, it's cooked right. It's supposed to be cooked on cow's dung, right? Hey, he says, hey, cook your, cook your bread on human dung. Ezekiel's like, whoa, God, that's a little far from me. He's like, okay, I'll make concessions. You can cook it on cow's dung. Have fun with that one, right? Chapter 36, he's supposed to prophesy to dead bones. God challenges Ezekiel to be different even when it doesn't make sense. God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, why would you have me do this? God, why would I lay on one side for 390 days? God, why would I be bound up? God, why would you make me mute? God, why, would, why do I have to prophesy to dead bones? They won't listen. God, why do I have to go to people that are rebellious? No, the priority is obedience to God with the priority of the message. God doesn't just call us to hear, but he calls us to obey. That's what he says in James chapter 1, verse 28. Be not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Nowhere does it say in the word of God that we are to come and sit in a church, amen a couple times, get our fix for an hour on Sunday morning, and go out and live like the world the rest of the week. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say if you show up for an hour or two on Sunday morning, give a little bit in the offering, then God is pleased, and go live your life to your fullest for the other six days. Nowhere. We are to be followers in obedience to God and going and proclaiming the message of God to the world. My friend, it is not always fun to preach. It's a message of lamentation and woe, and many people don't want to hear it. But don't ever change it. Don't ever change it. This is the word of the Lord, and this is what he said. At the end of this, when the judgment of God is poured out on them, the one thing they will know is that a prophet has been here. They know when the judgment of God is poured out and they did not listen and they were rebellious and they were stubborn, that a prophet has been here. Why? Turn over to chapter 3 and look what he says. Verse 18. It'll start in 17. He says, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. You are a watchman for your soul. You are ever vigilant to give them the word of God. You are watching over them. You are guarding their souls. So what was his job? The priority of the message, go and preach the word of God. Why? You shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, then you should, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, and he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sins, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does sin, he shall surely, uh, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you shall have delivered your soul. What does he say? 
Ezekiel. Why is it important that you preach the message of God? Well, God, they're not going to listen. No, but your responsibility isn't to make them listen. Listen to me carefully. Nowhere does it say that we are to preach the gospel and force people to get saved. Nowhere. What it does say is that we are supposed to be faithful with the word of God so that the spirit of God can take the word of God and work it out in their life. This is what he says. Ezekiel, you weren't supposed to take the rebellious people and make them listen. What you're supposed to do is preach the word of God so that if they do listen, they have the opportunity to listen. It's off you. But if you don't preach the word of God, and they don't hear the word of God, and they die in their sins, guess who was responsible? You, you never preached to them the word of God. My friend, listen to me. Read some horrifying statistics just this week about our nation. We claim to be a Christian nation, but statistics tell us that only about 20%, if that, between 8 and 20% of our entire nation go to church on any kind of a consistent basis. 75% of all teenagers, 12 to 18 years old, have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Now, we can hide in our little churches and show up once in a while and sit in here and say, we're a Christian nation, God's got to bless us, God's got to bless us, God's got to bless us. Israel tried that with Jerusalem too, and that didn't work out so well. You're like, what are you saying? I'm saying, listen to me, everybody that walks by just because you think they're a good person doesn't know the gospel. There are kids that sit up there that I deal with at the high school that have never heard the gospel. We sat there at football, FCA camp, and opened up the Bible, and they couldn't find Genesis. Listen to me, there are people around you that are dying and going to hell that have never heard of the gospel. And what will we stay, do when we stand before God and God says, what did you do with my word? Well, I was a little bit scared. I didn't know what people would say about me. I didn't know what they'd think about me. they think I'm some Bible thumper, crazy man. So I, I changed it a little bit to make it sound a little bit better. I didn't like the way the wording was. It sounded a little too harsh that people would die and go to hell. That's not what God has called us to do. He says, Ezekiel, you don't preach it. You'll stand and that blood will be on your hands. Yeah, but what if they don't listen? That's not up to you. Let the Spirit of God take care of that. Romans 10, how will they hear without a preacher? You say, why didn't God send those cherubim, the cool angels, in chapter 1 to preach the gospel? I don't know, he didn't. He, pre he sent you and he sent me. How big of a priority is the message of the gospel, the word of God, in our life? You say, well, Steve, why would we do this? Why would Ezekiel do this? This seems like craziness. Lastly, we obey the call for the glory of God. Look at the end of chapter 1 that Kirk read there. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. Look at chapter 3, 
verse 23. So I arose and I went out in the valley. And again, the spirit of God is working in him. And he, he arises and he goes into the valley. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I'd seen by the Shebar Canal. And I fell on my face, but the spirit entered in me and set me on my feet and spoke and said, Go, shut yourself within the house. And he obeys. The point of this is, why would Ezekiel do this? Why would he be bound and mute? Why, why would he eat this Ezekiel bread? Why would he lay on his side for three? Why would he go to people that will not listen and preach the word of God? Because he got a glimpse of the glory of God. And my friend, when we meet God, when we meet with God and we find out who he is and how gracious and loving and merciful he is, how can we not speak about him? You know why we don't speak about him? Because our life is wrapped up a whole lot more about us than it is about him. Listen to me. We are wrapped up with a whole lot more about us. What people think of me. What if I don't say it right? What if I don't have the answer to their question? What if, what if, what if? And all those what ifs are because our eyes are not focused on the majesty and glory of God. Anybody that has seen the glory of God in the Bible, Moses, Ezekiel, John, what happened? It fell on their face. God, what do you want me to do? The glory of the Lord, when he saw the greatness and glory of God, the very thing that we were commanded, that we were created to do, right? In our Westminster Catechisms. We were were made to do what? Glorify God. He says, I saw the glory of the Lord. And when you meet with God, when you realize what he did for you on that cross, when you take your eyes off yourself and look at him, then and only then can we say, how could I not proclaim him? How could I not proclaim his message? Well, I don't understand what God's doing. You don't have to. We don't live in a monarchy, but consider back in the day, you've seen enough movies on this kind of thing. The king sends you on an errand, and he sends you to take a message to another country. You're on your horse, you're riding through town, and somebody stops you and says, what are you doing? Why are you riding so fast? Why don't you stop and eat? I'm on a mission for the king. Well, what's your message? Well, that message sounds silly. Why don't you change it a little bit? Did they have that option? No. You were on a mission for the king, and nothing stopped you from that, and nothing changed the message. Why? Because it was the king. My friend, listen to me. If you are sitting here today and have turned from your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ, you are on mission for the king. You don't get the option of changing the message. You don't get the option of when and where. He says, go. While you are going, make disciples. Preach the gospel. While you are going, at all times. It shouldn't be a, well, I have to schedule it. No, it is what you should talk about. Why? Because you have a glimpse. John chapter 1, we have seen in Jesus Christ, the glory of God in human form came and died for us. And when we get a glimpse of who God is, how could we not but preach the gospel? 
Why are we to proclaim the word of God? Why do we not change the message to make it more appealing? Two reasons. One, we are to be about pointing people to the glory of God. Our ministry, witnessing, proclaiming the word of God, when it ceases to be about us and it's about him, it changes everything. When our proclamation is about obedience instead of acceptance by people, it demonstrates that we are about the glory of God. When our mission is not for our satisfactions, our numbers in the church, but about glorifying God, we will obey even when we don't understand. So I quote the other day, when you pray for revival in your town and it happens to the church across town, are you still satisfied? Oh, we want Poplar String to be bigger. We want our church to be bigger. We want bigger this. We want bigger this. It is not about the size of Poplar Spring. It is not about how many notches you have in your belt. No, it is about whether you are obeying God or not. I don't know what God's going to do through the proclamation of the gospel. I don't know how God's going to use it in your life, in their life. But we are to be obedient to the king. Second reason, there is a responsibility that comes with having the word of God. Ezekiel, if you do not proclaim the word, the blood will be on your hand. Ezekiel was responsible to preach so that they would have the chance to repent. Ezekiel was to be bound in his hands to point them to there is a day coming when there would be one, not bound with ropes, but be bound with nails. There's one that would hang and die for your sins and my sins. He was to be so concerned with the glory of God that no request would be too big because there was one coming that was so worried about the glory of God that he did what? Left heaven, humbled himself, and became man to die on a cross so that God would be. And yet, rebellious people still reject him. Rebellious people still will not listen to the message. Rebellious people still will not make him king. Real quick in our application, number one, we've all have been or are like the children of Israel. Listen to me. We all have been or we are being like the children of Israel. You may be sitting here today and you say, Steve, that's, that's great, but I, I, I don't have time for that. I don't like the message. I like a more loving. God is love. But if you will rebel against him, the message is nothing but lamentation, mourning, and woe. Are you like the children of Israel this morning? Living in rebellion to God, the message of God. I don't care what it says in there. I'm going to live my way. My friend, if you are, can I say, rebel no more. God is a God of mercy, and the fact that you're sitting here this morning gives you the opportunity to repent and turn to him. Number two, maybe you're here and you identify more with Ezekiel. And I'm... I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what people say about me. I don't know what my bosses say about me, my coworkers, my friends, my neighbors. I don't want to be the weirdo on the block. My friend, allow the Spirit of God to work in your life. 
Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you say, you know what, Steve? I just need to be consumed with the glory of God. I need the spirit of God to work in my life in such a way that I don't miss the opportunities to share the gospel, to talk about the glory of God, to preach the gospel to people. Maybe you just need today to pray and say, God, give me opportunities. Help me to see them. Help me to speak of your glory and greatness to everyone I meet.